Hi, I'm Connie Loises. And this is Alex Gove. And this is Strictly VC Download. Hello, everyone. Happy Friday. So this was quite a week taken over as it was by the world's attention on the missing submersible Titan that was slated to visit the wreckage of the Titanic some 13,000 feet below the surface of the North Atlantic Ocean. It went missing almost immediately last Sunday, but as you now know, unless you live in a cave or perhaps amid the Amish, it wasn't until Thursday that it was determined that the submersible suffered a catastrophic implosion, possibly soon after setting out, though I think officials are still working to establish a timeline for what happened. The news was especially chilling for Jay Bloom and his son, Sean, a father and son who were originally slated to travel on the submersible, but who dropped the idea after deciding it wasn't up to snuff. They couldn't help but think about what could have happened to them both and what did happen to the father and son who took their places, Shahzada and Suleiman Dawood. Interestingly, as much real estate as the story was given by the media this week, a lot of our own updates were delivered by Strictly VC's interns, ages 13 and 15, who increasingly follow the news on TikTok and clearly were being fed a steady stream of anything and everything submersible related. They're hardly alone in turning to the platform for the biggest stories. As the New York Times observes in a piece today, more and more people are turning to TikTok as a search engine and source for news. When people wanted to know what was up with the sub, they didn't ask Google or go to the New York Times, they asked TikTok and it showed them a video. A lot of these were creators who were summarizing news from Google or the New York Times. Some were creators who were having fun with the story. Think memes about finding wallets at the bottom of the ocean, a nod to the well-heeled passengers that perished. Grim, I know. Before the passenger's fate was known, another TikTok that now has more than 1.4 million views featured a woman who said with a straight face, it's crazy to think we might only have another 30 hours or so of being able to make fun of the people on the submarine. Even in the aftermath of the men's deaths, nothing was off the table seemingly. Says one new review on Amazon, addressing the game controller that was used in the vessel, quote, I got this to pilot my submarine, and now I'm lost. Anywho, on that note, we have a great guest for you this week, particularly if you are interested in retail and the rivalry between two of the biggest retail companies in the world, Amazon and Walmart. Though it's hard to remember now, Amazon was a mere startup 30 years ago and mostly an annoyance to Walmart. Now it poses an existential risk. And longtime journalist Jason Del Rey has written about the shape of that rivalry in a new book, Winner Sells All. We talked with Del Rey about why he wrote the book, what he thinks of Walmart's leadership, and Amazon's biggest screw-ups in a chat earlier this week that we hope you'll enjoy. We'll get to that in just a minute. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Finley, the debt capital management platform for startups. What if debt, not equity, is the make-or-break factor for your startup? When Finley's CEO, Jeremy Shway, was a debt investor at Goldman Sachs, he saw that smart capital management is the competitive differentiator in fintech and lending. That's why he founded Finley, modern software to help startups manage their borrowing bases financial covenants, and other debt capital must-haves. Today, 
finance teams at leading companies like Ramp, Trip Actions, and Arc rely on Finley to manage over $3 billion in debt capital with private credit lenders like Goldman Sachs and Upper 90. Interested in learning more? As a Strictly VC listener, you can get a free debt capital consultation from Finley's Capital Markets team at finleycms.com slash strictlyvc. That's finleycms.com slash strictlyvc. So congratulations on this book, big deal coming out tomorrow, June 20th. I guess by the time people actually hear this podcast, it will be out for a few days. Yep. And it's nice to be meeting you. You and I have never talked before. I know, which is wild. And I'm always slightly embarrassed the first time I talk to someone after a long time whose work I've seen and read and heard over the years and yet never met. But anyway, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure for me. And congratulations. So this was a two-year-long project? Three. Okay. So (laughs) tell me first how the book came together, because this is a pretty daunting challenge, writing about the rivalry of these just enormous, sprawling companies, Amazon and Walmart. Did you pitch this story to someone or was it proposed to you? How did this work? Yeah. So I'll be super candid. I had a book agent reach out to me actually four years ago. I had published on Recode, a oral history of Amazon Prime. Basically, talked to a bunch of folks who were involved in building Amazon Prime over the years at Amazon and published it in oral history form. So I always say the funny part about the first time I got real interest from a book agent was when all the words in the piece were actually yeah. not my own. They were <laughs> they were stitched together from subjects. Nonetheless, that created some interest in the book world and met with one agent who I seemed to like a lot and came up with about 10 ideas for a book. I had been interested in writing a book if I ever felt I was the best or one of the best people to write it. And so went through a lot of ideas and I just felt that it's really hard to look at the impact these companies have made in the retail industry, but also in the way people work and shop in a vacuum, just looking at one or the other, and that you could learn a lot by looking at how they've reacted to each other over the years and the impact of those reactions. So that's the medium length version of uh, how I got to the point of deciding to write on this topic. I guess I wonder if you knew going into this that this would ultimately be a story of how Walmart has only ever tried to play catch up to Amazon and often fallen short. I mean, Amazon's market cap is more than three times bigger than Walmart's at this point, $1.3 trillion to $400 billion. I mean, it seems like you're essentially underscoring that this rivalry is somewhat over, or is that wrong? I think the book in a lot of ways became a giant case study in the innovator's dilemma starring Walmart and uh, its attempts to reinvent itself. And so the book does lean in rather heavily to the Walmart tenure of CEO Doug McMillan over the last 10 years and all the trials and tribulations of really amazingly successful company being faced with an upstart that it first ignores, then pays attention to, but doesn't really execute well on its competitive strategy. And then in 2016 is at really a crossroads where inside the company, the CEO felt like if we don't make up some ground soon, I know it sounds ridiculous to some people, but 
we may really not be around in a couple of decades. And so that's one of the key stories I tried to tell here. And it sounds like Walmart gave you much more access. In your acknowledgments, I saw that you said of two Amazon communications executives, Chris Oster and Jordan Deagle, that they were, quote, as helpful as you might find inside that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really, they were indeed helpful. And so I can understand how some might read that as snark, but I really it was being straight that they were very helpful. And it is also true. You do not always find helpful folks inside that company. But I want to be clear, they were helpful. And my point there was as helpful as I think they could be within an organization like that, that just does not often give access to folks that they know will cover really in depth both sides, you know, of the impact of Amazon's decisions, right? The good stuff about how it positively affects consumers, maybe, but also the ripple effects for others. Walmart did give me access to most of their entire C-suite. So I did go down to Bentonville, Arkansas last year and sit with Doug McMillan, the CEO, in his office, same CEO office that Sam Walton once worked out of. And did talk to CEO of Walmart International, Sam's Club, US CEO. So th- so pretty good access. And let's be real though, like these are on the record conversations that the company is allowing. And so many of them you do not get as a journalist, maybe the candor sure. you'd either hope for or what I got from over 150 other interviews with folks who used to work at the company, right, who aren't being guarded by PR. So I was thankful for the access. And then Amazon, I think I talked to maybe forgetting the exact number of executives who were at the company at the time, it was maybe six or seven. So I think maybe a few fewer than Walmart, but both companies, I think, you know, know I've covered the company for a decade, hopefully knew that whether or not they cooperated with me, I was going to still tell the stories and it might be beneficial to at least have their version of things on the record. And so I think the book benefited from some of that access I had, but in no means was defined by those interviews. Yeah. In fact, I'm wondering about Bezos himself. You have a back and forth at the opening of the book. (laughs) You're at an event where you see him backstage and you ask what he's wearing, which you say is sort of a nod to the company's foray into private label clothing. And he's flummoxed. And then later he asks you as a joke what you're wearing. (laughs) Did you have a chance to talk to him again for this book? I did not. I, of course, requested that it was not fulfilled. And really, that's not, I was not uniquely disappointed by that in that he does not really sit for book interviews. Maybe someone will be lucky or whatever you want to call it someday, and he will. But I was not surprised by that. That said, I talked to Jeff Wilkie, who was his longtime number two CEO of Amazon's entire retail and consumer business, and also the current CEO of Amazon's entire retail and consumer business, Doug Harrington, who's been at the company a really long time, among a few other executives as well. That's great. Not Jassy, though. Jassy, I did not speak to for this book. Actually, when I started... He was AWS CEO, was not CEO of Amazon. And I, of course, allude to the importance of AWS, but do not go deep into that business in large part because I'm picking and choosing inflection points where both companies are playing in the same space. And we know Walmart has never really 
dabbled in cloud computing on their own, though I have some fun anecdotes about them choosing or disregarding partners based on some personal interactions over the years, which maybe we could get to. You do have an interesting quote in the book. You say you talked once with U.S. Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal, yeah. whose district includes Amazon's hometown of Seattle. And she said of Amazon's usual response to critics that, quote, there's just blanket dismissal of any criticism being real. There really isn't the opportunity to say, here are the things I'm hearing, things being reported, and what is the response? The response is almost always, that's ridiculous. That is a conspiracy and someone's out to get us. Do you share that same observation? Yeah. At the top of the company, there has long been this feeling that critics don't get us and or they are out to get us for nefarious reasons that are not legitimate. And to be clear, some of that definitely happens, right? Mm -hmm. Amazon is an easy target for different groups. And I think often for some really credible reasons, but there are also hosts of people that just love to hate the company because of Jeff Bezos or because XYZ. And so that said, I do think in the last few years, they've done some things, especially with regards to how they've interacted with powerful people in DC and in government that has just shown, I don't know, either a lack of awareness or just arrogance to the point that they've unnecessarily made more enemies than they needed to. Walmart, obviously still super powerful, still has critics, but they at least have gone on, whether self-serving or not, listening tours of critics over the years that at least pretending to want to hear the other side of things. And that has not really been a standard that Amazon has pursued. And I'd argue to their detriment in some ways. Yeah, they're not great at managing these sort of relationships. So a lot of this book, again, talks about Walmart's short-sightedness. Early on, it didn't appreciate how much of its business would or could be moved online. It didn't move fast enough to acquire diapers.com or no. Yeah, Quidzy, which owned diapers.com. Yeah, that was one miss. Pullback um, is another. Uh, I guess, what are some of Amazon's operational weaknesses? We know like culturally it has problems. It's got labor relations issues. It's got problems with the, you know, Department of Justice. Were you surprised by anything that you thought, wow, they don't do something well? (laughs) On the Amazon side, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. So a couple of things. I think I'll start with sort of more present day stuff, which is their foray into physical retail. And obviously they bought Whole Foods back in 2017. And I'd say a lot of media and even folks in tech kind of assumed Amazon would enter physical retail as the innovator and the smartest guys and gals in the room and just Mm -hmm. kind of get it right. And it's really been a pretty big failure to date. And I think one thing they've struggled with is thinking that technology differentiation would be enough Not that they haven't cared about the operations of getting the right inventory or the right food, but that stuff has kind of felt like an afterthought. And so you've walked into some of their physical retail establishments and the experience in the store kind of feels like an afterthought, like the checkout technology or the high-tech carts in some of their grocery stores that are counting your stuff. I think for some people, that's cool enough. But for the everyday consumer, I think they've struggled with how to differentiate and thinking that technology might be enough. You delve somewhat deeply into their healthcare strategy as well. I'm wondering if you think some of its shortcomings regarding the physical 
retail piece could be also problematic as they build out these real world clinics. They bought one medical, they've bought mm-hmm. PillPack. So yes, what we've seen from Amazon thus far, they had a service called Amazon Care, which was a mixture of telehealth and in-home concierge visits. It started out as just for Amazon employees and ended up getting shut down before it could really expand outside of that. But when I talked to nurses that worked in that program, other technologists who worked in that project, Amazon was often entering the space thinking what needed to be improved in healthcare or what was wrong versus to the chagrin of some of the nurses, what was already right. And so, again, I don't know if that's arrogance or just the way they operate, but some of the nurses I spoke to said, There were healthcare record software services that were already really good, but yet we spent all this time trying to build our own from scratch and that caused all sorts of problems and had shortcomings and they think they're the smartest people and they could recreate everything. And so I think they went into that space maybe slightly naive to what was already working well and where they might be able to play that was unique. And so they struggled a bit, right? The customer satisfaction scores were pretty pretty high, but they were spending a ton of money and it was taking longer than a lot of folks inside the company wanted to roll it out. So that's one area. The PillPack acquisition, another big acquisition that they sort of stole from Walmart, and I tell that anecdote in the book, the entrepreneurs who built PillPack went to work at Amazon and then they had some success, but also felt stifled after a while and realized how hard it would be to build pharmacy technology inside of now a pretty old retail technology division. And so not that different from Walmart, Amazon in some areas is running to the the fact that as they expand out of their core in different areas, there's a lot they just don't know. And so they'll test and I wouldn't disregard them in this space whatsoever, but they have a lot to learn in healthcare, just like they did in physical retail. Mm-hmm. Super interesting. So again, Walmart has lost a couple of companies to Amazon, maybe more than a couple. Do you think based on your reporting that one company versus the other does a better job of integrating their acquisitions? It's a great question. I'll start with Walmart. So the big acquisition they've made in the US at least over the last decade was the Jet.com acquisition back in 2016, I believe. And at the time, it was the biggest e-commerce acquisition ever at $3.3 billion. And what they decided with that acquisition, which was somewhat different than they've done in some of their smaller digital acquisitions in the past, was they were going to just hand the keys to the leaders of that company. So I'm talking about Mark Laurie and some other folks, and really let them, at least for a year or two, kind of had free reign to remake Walmart's e-commerce operations however they saw fit. And so I think that was smart and necessary at the time, but eventually because the e-commerce org and the physical retail org had different incentive structures for their leaders, bonus structures, really created a lot of friction that I think slowed down their operation. At Amazon, listen, I think entrepreneurs typically In the past, if they had a choice between selling to Amazon and Walmart, many would choose Amazon, seen as more forward-looking these days, more entrepreneurial. But I was somewhat surprised to find in my reporting that as they've gotten much bigger, bureaucracy has crept in, and 
entrepreneurs can have a hard time there as well. And so I think they've each had different approaches over time, but I think they're both at a point where the size of their orgs makes it really tough for an entrepreneurial leader to move as fast as they once did. And you will see exceptions of folks who stay, but I think beyond the payday that these entrepreneurs are making, both can be frustrating places to work still. I'm also just wondering, it's an obvious question, but here we're talking about Amazon out innovating Walmart because of its size. And of course, because of Jeff Bezos's scorched earth strategy in many cases, but yeah. who, who should Amazon be most worried about? I mean, these companies reach such a scale that they seem completely immune to any upstart until they don't. So if you had to bet on who could topple Amazon. I mean, it doesn't seem like it's going to be Instacart. No, I referenced a couple of companies toward the back of the book as I'm trying to look ahead and companies that have just been paying a lot of attention to in recent years. Instacart is one of them and they seem to have a lot of momentum in the pandemic, but they're really in a tough business. And while they've had ambitions to move outside of grocery, whether that's a good decision or not, their core business is still largely grocery dependent. When the apparel space, obviously we've seen the rise of Shein and Timu more recently, those businesses just kind of get massive overnight. I'm skeptical of the business sustainability of some parts of their businesses, the environmental impact. Next generation of consumers say they care about it, but mm -hmm. then we see the spending with these companies. And so yeah. maybe they'll be okay. To answer your question more directly though, I think Shopify is still a very interesting company for me. I know not a retailer, but I think really a formidable tech company. I know they may be overextending themselves trying to get into logistics and now how to spin off that operation, I, I believe at a loss. But I think there's really smart folks who care about independent businesses. And so the question will be whether they ever can really build or want to build a consumer facing presence, but Amazon pays very close attention to them. The other one, I think is TikTok. Amazon is essentially a transactional portal, right? A lot of people go there, I would say, knowing what they want. So they're going there to buy something, not to shop. I think TikTok still has a ton of potential to play a big role in people actually wanting to shop, right? And not just going somewhere knowing exactly what they want and just wanting to press check out or buy. There's a lot of potential whether they can fulfill it. I have no idea. There's a really good chance 20 years from now, we'll look back and say XYZ company is now a massive, massive business and they didn't even exist back in 2023. And so my hope is maybe for the health of the economy, health of society, that might be the case as well. Yeah. You know, TikTok is so interesting. I have two teenage sons and that's how they find what they want to buy. It's always some brand that they saw bubble up on the platform. In terms of the environmental impact, I'm just constantly amazed the damage that these companies have done to the environment. I mean, at least Amazon is switching to electric trucks, although I'm not sure where its relationship with Rivian stands right now. The vans of my neighborhood, which is, for what it's worth, suburban New Jersey are almost exclusively electric right now. But also Walmart. I saw one. I was surprised. Maybe I shouldn't have been to see a Walmart Plus van the other day. Also electric. But go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. But just all of the packaging that they're creating and the... Mm -hmm carbon emissions footprint. And I mean, so much is made of every other aspect of the business, but I just feel like it's- Undercovered or not paid attention to enough? 
Both. I mean, what do you think? No, I think that's fair. Employees at Amazon who've been pushing on this stuff, they'll do a walkout and get some coverage. I'll never forget, you know, this is related. I think Amazon and Jeff Bezos came out and announced the climate pledge years ago. Mm -hmm. And not coincidentally, as best as I can tell, happened on the day that Amazon employees were set to walk out over frustrations with the company's efforts or lack thereof in this space and lack of transparency internally on their impact. And so I've been hopeful that maybe there'd be smart entrepreneurs that are trying to build new services that maybe give us what we want or think we need as consumers, but in a friendlier way to the planet. And there have been some fits and starts, but I don't know that entrepreneurs are going to solve it, at least in the retail space. And so, yeah, I think beyond press attention, I don't know what government's role is here, but it feels like there should be one. So also, Jason, I thought it was interesting that you decided not to spend time on Amazon Web Services only because it's become such a major source of revenue. Maybe Mm -hmm. just beyond the book, how do you think that that has influenced Amazon's overall position in the battle with, with Walmart? It is obviously the easy thing to see on the surface if you're paying attention to Amazon's numbers, the cash machine that it is, obviously also... Amazon's advertising business, I think the gross profit margins of that business may even be greater than AWS. So it is a huge advantage. And you see the impact at Walmart in some ways, not in them attempting to build a competing service, but rather in them trying to diversify their business and their revenue streams in other ways. So they made a key hire within the last few years, a guy named Seth Dallaire, who was a longtime I think at one point even led Amazon's advertising efforts and then went to Instacart for a couple of years as their chief revenue officer. And now at Walmart is in a very high position where he runs sort of a suite of new business lines. So one being, yes, advertising, another being their own Walmart Plus membership programs, sort of pseudo rival to Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. And I believe there are a couple other new business lines under his purview. And so it's just been interesting to me that Walmart has, I think, accepted we're not going to build a Walmart web services per se, but we need to build some profit margin into our overall business. And just back to healthcare for a second, one interesting thing is looking at each company and their motivations to get into healthcare. It's fine what they say in press releases, but I was really interested to try to dig into what the real reasons are. Mm-hmm. And I was somewhat surprised to learn from a former Walmart executive that one of the main attractions to Walmart CEO Doug McMillan in healthcare is the cash flow he believes the company can build in that business and then how that excess cash might be used to guard against more of an Amazon attack in the core grocery business that I don't know if people realize the majority of Walmart's retail revenue come from grocery sales versus other type of merchandise. And so, and also interesting because Walmart only added groceries years after they opened up their stores. They were not a grocer from day one. Anyway, I think obviously AWS, huge impact. Also AWS and healthcare is an area they're looking at closely. But then at Walmart, the impact, the profit margins of Amazon's AWS has on Walmart's strategy has been very interesting for me to track. 
One thing I'm just wondering, again, not in the book, but I'd be interested in your thoughts on Amazon's studio business. I mean, that's something where the payoff is not so obvious. Do you think that that was the right move for Amazon? Two things. I think it was smart for them to go into that space and wrap it into Prime in an effort to just keep Prime really, really sticky. And I'll even speak as a household that we shop at a lot of different places, but we are still Prime members as well. And while we may be ordering less on Amazon than we once did, and we may not even watch that much Amazon video, I think it's built into our head that, oh, there's more value here in this program because it's not just shipping. And so on that hand, I think it was smart. On the other hand, it seems to be a little bit of an ego play with the amount of money they've spent and just the fact that how happy Jeff Bezos has seemed on the red carpet. And, you know, is that 10% of why they got into the space or 60%? I don't know, but they've spent a ton of money in that space. And I haven't done the math of the ROI. I'm sure there are analysts that have. I don't know that has been the smartest financial decision when looking at it as a one-off versus the impact it's had of retaining prime customers. Mm -hmm. I also just wanted to ask, I don't know if you've given much thought to the company's respective AI strategies. I mean, Mm. obviously Amazon's is very different because of AWS. I think in April that it's going to be recruiting third parties to host models on AWS, but just curious what your thoughts are there. Yeah. So maybe that's my second book because the publishing industry still moves rather slowly in the printing process. And so I was done writing my book mostly the end of last year and obviously generative AI and the coverage of that space really blew up. And so a couple of things I know on the Amazon side, in their core business, they are thinking really hard and I'd expect to see them make some interesting hires in the space. They're looking really hard at how search on the platform is reinvented. I think there's this feeling in the retail industry that keywords may soon be a thing of the past if if your platform is able to give recommendations based on actual queries and questions versus keyword search. And so I think there's this race to figure out what that looks like that both companies are absolutely paying attention to. So that's one straightforward space. I think obviously an advantage Amazon has, I think, is all the learning and innovation and testing they'll do in AWS or have already done, and then figuring out the right ways to bring that into their retail business. While Walmart, on the other hand, while has a big technology org, may have to import more of that specialty and do some external learning. And so it's hard to predict where this will go, but I think it'll be another inflection point, obviously in the world of business period, but in e-commerce specifically for those who care about it. And then Jason, before I let you go, just wondering, so you spent time, you know, again, a limited amount of time with Doug McMillan, but you talked with a lot of people about Walmart and about him specifically. I'm wondering if you think he's still the right person for the job. I don't think he would take it in a million years, but I was wondering, could a Mark Laurie turn this enterprise around? He's much more of an entrepreneur, obviously. Yeah, I did wonder while he was still there. So Mark, he had a five-year deal when the acquisition was signed, which is a long agreement for an entrepreneur. I think typically it's a couple of years. And so I think he lasted four, four and a half years. And so I did wonder if they would ever make such a move or whether he would even want it. And I think the challenge is 
He's very entrepreneurial, brilliant in a lot of ways, but he and his team had never run an org anywhere near the size. Super tough to figure out for any entrepreneur to come in and try to run the largest retailer in the world. I'll preface this by saying super successful brilliant entrepreneur in a lot of ways. I think he would have been in way over his head. And I'm not sure he would have had the institutional buy-in from the still very important store leadership of the company for something like that to work. I also think just in general, Walmart typically likes to develop their own talent. And so I thought Doug, you know, he's about nine years in now. I thought maybe he'd hit 10 years, maybe not. And they'd elevate one of two or three people. There's Walmart US CEO, John Ferner, Walmart International CEO, Judith McKenna. And then sort of the dark horse a lot of people are talking about is the CEO of Sam's Club, which is part of Walmart as well. Her name is Kath McClay. Just recently, though, there's been reporting that Doug's going to hang on a couple more years. And I think people there still feel like he's the right person for the job. Either he's a really good actor or he was being honest when he said that when he can recognize that he's not the best person for the job. He'll step aside. He's been there decades. I don't think he has really anything else to prove, but feeling confident that the company's in a stable, forward-looking place to hand over to a successor. So that's a long way of saying I'd be shocked if they hand it over to an entrepreneur. And I also just am not sure that an entrepreneur can be successful at that level at a company like that. Yeah. Jason, also just wondering, have you heard from either company? I'm assuming both companies have read your book. I've gotten a little bit of reaction so far from one of the two companies that was essentially, there are no big surprises in it. And really that's my goal. The book has been fact-checked with both companies. If there are really any outlandish surprises on either side, I pride myself on trying to be as transparent as possible so that Mm -hmm. someone doesn't pick up this book who's in in it or involved and be shocked by what they're reading. I think there's plenty of stuff in the books that the companies were not thrilled to see the light of day, whether it's some strategy or infighting or analysis by folks who used to work there. But no one has showed up at my door yet, but it's not publication day quite yet. So (laughs) I should knock on wood. Well, from what I've read so far, it seems very fair and balanced. And I love the detail that you offer here. So Jason, thank you. I know that you would otherwise probably have most of this day off to celebrate Juneteenth. So I appreciate you making the time for me today. Yeah, I appreciate you making the time as well. That's it. Thanks very much for listening, everybody. And special thanks to Finley, the modern debt capital management platform. Please check them out at finleycms.com slash strictlyvc. We're taking a little bit of a break from the podcast, but we'll see you back here on Friday, July 21st. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you soon.